Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. My name is David Rapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Deer Creek Church and also a church planter. Uh, We're moving towards a future church in the Golden area. If I've not met you, I would love the opportunity to do so. This morning, we get the privilege of looking together at the first part of the Gospel of John, uh, which is a book in the New Testament. Now, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 together this morning. And we are in the season of Christmas. Even though Christmas was last week, that's actually just the beginning of the season of Christmas. And so it's a good time for us to reflect on the reality of Jesus' birth and what that means that God became a man. And specifically, what we want to look at is what can we learn about God and what God is like as we look at Jesus? What can we learn about the heart of God towards sinners and sufferers like us, people like me and you, as we look at Jesus and the fact that God sent him into this world? So John tells us at the end of his book, what his whole purpose for writing is. And he says in John 20, verse 31, it's that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so John begins his gospel by taking us back to the beginning, the very beginning, in order to help us understand more of what Christmas means. So I'm going to read for us John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, our greatest need is to see Jesus, to see his greatness, to see his glory, to see his grace. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we might see Jesus and delight in him. Maybe some of us for the first time. Amen. So words have great power to orient us 
to a story. When a narrator starts and sets the scene, it sets our expectations for what we're going to experience, for what we are going to enter into. <clears throat> so anytime you see a Star Wars movie, you read those words that say, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, and immediately you're transported into another world, to another time with expectations. Expectations that you are going to see a great battle between good and evil, that you're going to encounter Jedi Knights and stormtroopers. Well, John does the same thing for us when he writes, in the beginning. He intends to sweep us into a great story, <clears throat> to a time before any of us existed when only God existed. And he welcomes us into a story that we wouldn't have access to unless we were told about it. But it's actually the story of everything. It's the story of... <clears throat> of our world, of our entire existence. It's the story in which we find ourselves. And so no matter who you are, no matter what paths you've been led down in your life, this is the story that is able to give meaning to the whole of your existence, <clears throat> to give meaning to your life. And it's God's story. It's a story where he reveals what he is like, and what he's doing in our world. And so the Bible is primarily about God and about Jesus. It's not primarily about us and what we're supposed to do. But it's about what God has done through Jesus so that as we see that, we'll be drawn to come to him for life. Here's the challenge for us. When we don't know the story or when we ignore the story, like all of us do in some ways, all of the time, when we ignore this story, we are inclined to come up with our own ideas of what God must be like. And the way that we respond to God and the way that we relate to him is going to be dependent upon what we believe he is like. We have a, a Great Dane dog in our family named Gutenberg. And Gutenberg is about 150 pounds, and he's about as tall as I am. And if you were to come over to our home, you would likely be greeted before you even got to the front door with the loudest, deepest woof that you've ever heard. And if you don't know Gutenberg, you might be inclined to be afraid. You might think, maybe this isn't such a good idea. You might decide, hey, let's turn around and go somewhere else and pretend that we're sick uh, rather than coming over. Now, Gutenberg is strong and he's powerful, but he doesn't want to bite you. He doesn't want to rip your head off. He just wants to lick you. He's a big goofball like Scooby-Doo or Marmaduke. He just wants to cuddle up with you. He wants to be your friend. But the way that you respond to Gutenberg will be dependent upon your perception of what he is like. It's similar to how in The Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are initially very wary of this scruffy-looking ranger named Strider when they first meet him. They're not sure that they can trust him. Who is this guy? But eventually, they come to realize that he's the true king, that he is somebody who, rather than want to harm them, would be willing to give his life in order to protect them. Often our greatest problem in our relating to God is that we have wrong ideas about what God is actually like. And those wrong ideas shape the way that we relate to him. But here's the good news. The good news is that God has not hidden himself. He's not remained silent 
but he's actually revealed himself to us and told us what he is like. And he's done that most clearly and most significantly through sending his own son, Jesus, into this world. And so if you want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. So when we look at Jesus, what do we learn? Well, John tells us, shows us that the first thing is that Jesus is, uh, he tells us who the Son has always been. Christ is called the Word. Uh, The Greek word behind that is logos. And Jewish readers would have immediately thought of God's Word in creation. When God spoke and things came into existence. And John says that this Word, this logos, is actually a person. Not just an idea, but it's actually a person. And he tells us that this person, this son, has always existed. In the beginning, was. He was not created. He always was. Which means there never was a time when he was not. So the son has always existed. And John shows us that he's always been God. The word was God. Notice it doesn't say a God. It doesn't say he was like God. It says was God. Right from the beginning, John tells us that Jesus is God. Do you believe that? Do you have questions about that? Throughout the history of the church, there have been people who have not believed that. People who might even call themselves Christians, but have not believed that. Uh, Most significantly, there was a man in the fourth century named Arius, uh, who a heresy is named after, but this heresy denied that Jesus is actually the son of God. And this heresy was condemned at two church councils, the Council of Nicaea in 325 and of Constantinople in 381. And out of those councils came this creed known as the Nicene Creed, which we're actually going to recite together later in the service. But in these councils, the church affirmed that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God himself. The Nicene Creed says it this way, that Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Now this this influence of Arianism um, isn't just something that that died away 1,500, 1,600 years ago, but it actually actually still is present uh, in groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and other groups who would seek to deny that Jesus actually is God. And we need to be friends with those people. We need to be in relationship. But we need to also realize that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. One scholar uh, named Stephen Wellam says, Arius reduced the Son to a creature. Albeit the most exalted creature, he considered the Son the first begotten of the Father, but he rejected his eternal preexistence and his co-equal status with the Father. Such a view, the church insisted, was a denial of the Jesus of the Bible and of Scripture's teaching regarding God and salvation. So Arius said that there was a time when the Son was not, when the Son didn't exist. But John clearly says to us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John tells us in both the first verse of our passage and in the last verse, in verse 18, that Jesus is God. In verse 1, he says, and the word was God. And in verse 18, there are, notice, two people who were referred to as God. 
He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Maybe you've never really wrestled with this. Maybe you've never thought about whether the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Maybe for some of you, it's just something you've been taught, you've assumed, but you've not questioned it. Or maybe that's something that you're really not sure of. Maybe you're not convinced that that's what the Bible teaches. And certainly you have friends who wonder, is that true? Is Jesus really God? It's a significant question. And what I hope that you'll see is that this is just one of many, many places where the Bible clearly says that Jesus is God. So why does that matter? What's the significance? Well, first of all, uh, it means that worshiping Jesus is appropriate. Worshiping Jesus is absolutely essential. John Stott says, nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him if he is not God is idolatry. To withhold worship from him if he is, is apostasy. So John tells us that the Son has always existed and has always been God and that the Son is eternally the creator. So look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he's saying Jesus was involved in creation. I know that the tendency probably for many of us is to think of God the Father as being the one who does the creating. But John says here also that Jesus was involved in the creation of everything. Okay, great. Why does that matter? What is the significance of that for you and for your everyday life? It means that Jesus understands you because he made you. Jesus made this world and he knows exactly what is wrong in the world and he knows exactly what is wrong with me. Jesus knows you perfectly and he knows me perfectly and he's the only one who knows exactly how to restore us. Exactly how to fix us. And we've got to understand who Jesus is to really understand what he came to do. We see that Jesus, Jesus loves the world he made. And he hates the brokenness and the pain and the alienation that have entered into this world. Jesus' attitude, his stance towards this world is that he sees the brokenness and the pain and he grieves over it. And having a heart of compassion moves him to do something about it. That's so often not our tendency, is it? It's often not my tendency to run towards the pain, to run towards the brokenness, to move into it. I mean, our tendency is so often to want to escape, to flee, to run away, to numb the pain, to do anything that we can to get out of this world. But Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus comes into the world. He leaves the perfection of heaven in order to come into the brokenness and the mess of our world. And so that's the next thing that John shows us is how Christ came. He shows us that Jesus moves toward us in our need. In verse 4, he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines into the darkness and it's not overcome. And so John's imagery is of A world that is in darkness where people like us are stumbling, are groping, are grasping for something, for anything that will give us meaning, that will make sense of our existence, our experience. 
that will give us a sense of significance. Maybe you're experiencing that right now, that groping, that grasping, as you're aware of things in your own life, maybe painful things, maybe hard things. As you look around and you see all the things in this world that are not right, that are not the way that they're supposed to be. And you don't have to look very hard or very far to see those things or to hear about those things. They're very prominent, always being pressed into us. And maybe this morning you're dealing with a certain sense of confusion about what the meaning of life is anyway, what it means to be a human being, how we got here and why. Maybe you're wrestling with the question of whether God even exists. And if he does, why the world is the way that it is. And maybe some of you are experiencing a certain darkness or even depression as you look at your own experience or the world around you. And what Christmas shows you is that Jesus comes to you to bring both life and light Verses 9 and 10 tell us that Jesus is the true light coming into the world. He's the God who created everything. And yet, yet in spite of that, he can be ignored. He can be dismissed. He's often not recognized. And he can even be rejected. And so what John is wanting to do for us, and the reason that he wrote, and what we get the privilege of experiencing, John's goal is that we would see Jesus that we would see clearly who Jesus is. And he wants to show us how Jesus responds to people like us, people like me, who are often inclined to ignore Jesus, often inclined to dismiss him, who in, in so many ways throughout our days and our weeks try to live apart from him and who often reject him. How does Jesus respond to people like that, people like you? like me. Notice that he doesn't ditch us. He doesn't just peace out. He doesn't leave and abandon us. Instead, he comes to us. He moves toward us. Even as we are running away from him, Jesus comes toward us. He comes to live with us as one of us. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What we need to see is that Jesus is completely at home in this world that he made. He's got a very world-affirming nature to him. He dwelt, which literally means he tabernacled among us. And for Jewish hearers, they would hear of this word and they would think of the power of creation and the power of redemption, of rescue. They would have understood that John is saying that this, this God of power the God who created everything and the God of rescue, the God who rescued our people out of slavery in Egypt, this God wants to live with us. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God with us. That's what the incarnation, God becoming man, that's what it's all about. Jesus becoming a man and being Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in Jesus, God comes near to be with us. The God who created us becomes one of us. The God who we rejected is willing to identify us, the God, identify with us. The God whose world we have messed up is willing to enter into our mess with us, to enter into our brokenness. 
you might be inclined to wonder sometimes if God is really aware of your situation and if he really cares, if he really understands you, you might think, does God really understand my suffering, what I'm going through? And we can look at Jesus and know that the answer is absolutely yes, he does. Does he really understand my temptation? And the answer is absolutely. Jesus was, was tempted in every way that we are, that you and I are. He experienced everything and yet didn't sin. Some of you deal with the reality that you have been rejected or you've been abandoned or you've been betrayed. Can Jesus relate to that? And the reality is that, that Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest companions. That he was abandoned by not just one or two, but all of his friends. So maybe you feel alone or lonely, and you need to know and be convinced that, that Jesus knows what that's like. In fact, Jesus has experienced that to a depth that none of us ever could or will. Some of you are facing death, and you need to know that Jesus did too. We all, we all will experience death. That's just the reality of our existence. But Jesus has already gone before us in that. He identifies with us completely. And that's why he is the perfect rescuer, exactly the kind of rescuer that we need. Jesus had to be both God, the God of power, the God of purity, the God who was able to save us. And at the same time, he had to be a man. He had to be human. He had to be like we are and live where we are and yet do it sinlessly. But at the same time, experience everything that we experience. So Jesus comes to live with us as one of us. So how does that affect how we think about what it means and looks like to follow Jesus in this world? And specifically, if you are a follower of Jesus, what does that mean for how we together carry out his mission in a broken world? We've got to first remember that Jesus entered our world. He moved into our neighborhood to be close to us, to be close to people who weren't looking for him. So how does that affect our thinking about where we are and how we might engage in relationships? If you are a follower of Jesus, one question that you might ask yourself is simply, do I have any real close friends uh, who are not yet Christians? And what opportunities might I have to pursue those kinds of relationships? <clears throat> Jesus came to befriend people who weren't looking for him. In fact, people who really didn't want anything to do with him. He came as a friend of sinners like me. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so followers of Jesus are to have the same posture, the same stance, the same attitude in this world. He came to be with us, to live as one of us. So a question for us to reflect on is how willing am I to enter into brokenness, to identify with brokenness? Our natural inclination is to, to stay away from it, to keep our distance, but how willing are we to enter into and inhabit other people's worlds when there is mess there? 
to enter into relationships and even conversations that, that might be awkward? How willing are we to sit in the awkwardness in order to actually know and engage people? Jesus entered our messiness. <clears throat> so Jesus shows us what God is like, and he came to reveal the glory, the grace, and the truth of God. John says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is full of grace and truth, and that is important for us to recognize and remember as we think about what God is actually like. John says in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. So God is revealed to us in Jesus. And so if you want to know what God is like, you've got to look at Jesus. You've got to see what Jesus is like and how he acts towards sinners and sufferers and weak and failing followers and see that he's a friend of sinners. See what his heart is like towards those who are broken and those who are suffering, and those who struggle, and those who sin in big and flagrant ways, what is his heart like toward them? What is his heart like toward the downtrodden? That's what we've got to see of Jesus in order to understand what God is like. Michael Reeves writes that there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. In Christ the Word, we exchange darkness for light as we think of God, for he perfectly shows us an unsurpassably desirable God, a kind of God who is against all that is wrong, a God who thaws us. And only when we see that will we truly love him. I think that some of us, if we're honest, would say that our hearts have grown cool toward God. And for some of us, our hearts may have even frozen solid toward God. Because of how we believe that he has acted toward us or how he's failed to act, because of the things that he has allowed to come into our lives, maybe painful things, or because of the way that we feel that he has withheld something from us that we think we need or would make us happy. And so our hearts have grown cold. And it's only as we see a true picture of what God is really like in Jesus that our hearts will be thawed and that we'll actually desire him. So how are you responding to Jesus? There's different ways that people can and do respond to him. John says in verse 11 that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The Jewish people, in spite of seeing so many signs about who Jesus is, did not believe in him. The religious people who we would most expect to embrace him actually rejected him. But John says in verse 12 that those who received him, those who believed in his name, were given the right to become children of God, to become part of the family. Some of you are living as spiritual orphans right now. You're living as though you don't have a spiritual father. And what Jesus is inviting you into is the family of God. He's inviting you to have God as your 
father. And the way into this family, John tells us in verse 13, isn't through ethnicity or through our nationality, but it's only through being born of God, which means that you have to believe in Jesus. So the only way to become a child of God, the only way to be part of God's family is through believing in Jesus. But the good news is that Jesus invites everyone. He invites you, no matter who you are, to believe in him. The doors of Jesus's kingdom, the doors of his family are wide open to anyone who will believe. So what do you think God is like? Maybe you're hesitant to draw near to God, to trust him because you perceive him as being cold or lacking compassion toward you or being distant, maybe even disinterested. For some of you, you probably have this overwhelming sense or assumption that God is just radically disappointed in you perpetually, all the time. Maybe you're here and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you know the facts about God and Jesus and and you believe them and yet, yet you have this sense of keeping your distance from God because you just assume that he is so disappointed with you because of the things that you've done and the things that you continue to do. But the only way that you can really know what God is like is to look at Jesus, to see what God is like. And you see a God who comes near, a God who actually wants to be with you, who wants to be with people like you. There's no God who is different from Jesus. And so coming to Jesus is coming to the one true God who desires to dwell with his people. In the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, a man named Moses begged God saying, show me your glory. He wanted to see God's face. And God said to him, you can't see my face. In fact, no one can see my face and live. If you see my face, you will be incinerated. But here's what I'm going to do. Here's what God did. He said, I'm going to put you in this cleft of a rock and I am going to pass by you and you can see my backside. I'm going to reveal my glory to you and I am going to speak my name. I'm going to tell you who I am and what I am like. And so God let his glory pass before Moses and he revealed what he's like. In Exodus 34, 6, we read, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so when the microphone gets thrust in front of God and he gets the opportunity to answer the question, what are you like? How do you want to be thought of? What do you want the world to know about who you are? This is what he says. He says, this is who I am. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am merciful. I am a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who I am. And if we want to see God's glory, we need look no further than Jesus John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, you can look at the face of God and not be obliterated. Verse 16 says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is full of grace and truth, and we need both of those. You need both of those. We need a God who is full of truth. And in Jesus, you meet a God who you can trust, who you can believe, because he's always truthful. He always keeps his word. He always keeps his promises, so you can rely on him and trust him. And he reveals to us the truth about who he is and the truth about this world and also the truth about each of us, what we are like. And sometimes, sometimes that truth is hard to hear. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable because it exposes us. It uncovers things about us that aren't the way that they are supposed to be. Things about us that are wrong. It exposes our failures. It exposes our weakness. And it exposes the fact that we can't fix ourselves, which we so desperately want to do. It exposes us as being helpless, in need of help from the outside. So sometimes that truth that God reveals to us is is hard. But God's truth always comes to us with grace. Jesus is full of grace. He's got a heart of compassion toward people like us. Toward people for whom the truth about us is that we are messy. That we're broken in so many different ways. But it's seeing his heart, his heart of compassion towards sinners and sufferers like me and like you. That will actually draw us near to him that will actually cause us to want to be where he is and to follow him and so as we move into this new year let's make one of our goals to see more of Jesus and where can we expect to do that well first and foremost as we gather together for worship each week That's the primary place where Jesus says that he will meet with us. So let's make that a priority. But not not as a a burdensome obligation or something that we just do because it's, it's just the right thing to do, but because we recognize that our souls are hungry. And every week we are invited to a feast of grace. So let's take advantage of that together. And this might also be an opportunity for us to, um, to restart reading our Bibles or maybe start for the first time. Let me encourage you to never stop starting. We all start and then we fail and we get off the wagon and um, let's, not, let's not let Bible reading be something that's a chore that we feel guilty about. But as one writer, Jack Miller said, let it be, let it be an opportunity for us to collapse into the arms of Jesus. To not worry so much about our resolve, but to rest in his resolve. To come to him in order to be refreshed, not burdened. One other opportunity for you to 
see Jesus more and see more of Jesus would be to consider joining a small group, which are going to be starting the end of this month. And we would encourage you all to participate in one of those. I particularly would invite you to consider being a part of our three-week group called Hope Explored. It's going to start at the end of this month. But our goal is that we see more of Jesus. And as you see more of Jesus, and as you see more of how he himself describes what he's like in the Bible, and as you see more of how God acts towards sinners and sufferers like us, you might just find that some of your assumptions about what God is like are challenged, are being redirected. And you might find yourself being more attracted to Jesus. You might find yourself trusting in Jesus in in new or deeper ways. Maybe some of you for the first time. And that is our hope. That's our prayer. That's why John wrote this book. Because Jesus came in order that you might believe and that through believing you might find life in him and have life that is abundant. We'd love to help you in your journey. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that Jesus came to us with healing in his hands, that he came to bring both light and life. So would you allow us to be a people who delight in the wonder of who Jesus is, knowing his heart for us? And then would you cause us to have a heart for those around us, our friends who as of yet don't yet know Jesus? We pray that our feasting and our celebrations together would be such that others would see and would want to be where we are. And that we would welcome them in to taste and to see that you really are good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.